So the sin that we're navigating today is the sin of selfishness. You hear that word? It's a common word because um, all of us will admit to some degree we're selfish. Have you ever been in a group setting where people go around and you share kind of what you're struggling with? Nobody actually leads with the, what they're really struggling with. Like, I want to see what other people say. Like, oh, that, that seems like, I don't know if that's socially acceptable. You know, that, that's too serious. I'm going to play it safe. Um, I struggle with pride or I struggle with selfishness. Like, uh, no, nobody's like, oh, whoa, no way, pride and selfishness. Like, it's kind of a safe sin. So what we're navigating today is, is, is so, the sin of selfishness. Is it really that serious? Is it, is it really that big of a deal? Well, here's the official definition. I'll let you be the judge. Concern, here's selfishness means this, concerned excessively or exclusively with oneself, seeking one's own advantage, pleasure, or well-being without regard for others. And I think that last part is the most important part. And so when we talk about the seriousness of selfishness, what is the actual cost? Is there a cost to, to my selfishness? Is it really serious enough to be a, a sin that affects anybody beyond myself? Well, Paul in Galatians puts it pretty clear. First of all, in chapter 5, verse 16, he paints the, the, the vision for our lives. My counsel is this, coming out of that last series, hearing God, Paul says, live freely, animated, and motivated by God's spirit. Then <laughs> you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. It's not a try harder endeavor. <laughs> it's a live by the spirit, allow the spirit to transform you. That's the only way to overcome selfishness. Now, I don't, the majority of the scripture that I'll, I'll use is from the NIV or the ESV or, or New Living Translation, and, but every now and then I'll utilize the message translation, especially when we're navigating scripture that's familiar. And uh, the, in a few verses later, after Galatians 5, 16, Paul gives a rundown of what the actual cost of selfishness is, and I'm reading it from the message translation because it's about as forthright, as hard-hitting as it gets. And I often say, heads up, I step on my toes all the way until I get to your all's toes. So here we go together. Galatians 5, 19, the cost of selfishness, Paul says, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, a small-minded and lops lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and then he closed this section by simply saying, I could go on. Well, Paul, I think you did go on. That's, well, thank you for stopping at that point. Apparently, there's more. I feel like that was enough. So it's very clear there is a cost. There's a cost to our selfishness. It impacts someone beyond ourselves. So when we talk about sin, which is choosing to go our own way, God has in mind how we should go, not just for the sake of falling in line, but for the sake of life to the full. That's his vision for your life. He's not holding out on you not just uh, designing life to prevent you from getting what you really want. He has life to the full in mind. And so when we go our own way, it's inconsistent with God's way, that's called sin. So the reality is every time we sin, we are attempting to find life outside of God. We choose to go our own way. It is a direct attempt to find life outside of God. And so this sin of selfishness, right, the reason why we're casual about it or it's kind of considered an unacceptable sin is that we tolerate it. It's easy to justify because... We want what we want. 
Well, I mean, if God put that desire in me, it must mean something, right? Galatians 5.17 is interesting, which follows the very first verse that we read, points out that the spirit that lives within us when we choose to give our life to Christ in our natural way, Paul uses the word flesh, the spirit within us in our flesh, our natural desires, they're in conflict with each other, and this conflict is a good thing. <laughs> Many of you struggle, right, and you feel guilty about your struggle, but rest assured that your struggle is a sign of strong desire and healthy uh, relationship with God. <laughs> and so the, the, you need to have this everyday conflict between the spirit living within you and your natural old self. So Paul literally says this, the reason why this conflict exists, so that you are not to do whatever you want. <laughs> How do I keep from doing exactly what I want all the time? The spirit living within me, living in that conflict, choosing dependence on God and his spirit, not, my, not myself, my own desires. So selfishness, the reality is it's the primary evidence of immaturity, isn't it? Which means the failure to grow up. That's why people stall out sometimes because they can't get beyond themselves. They're only living for themselves, and so it's not an age-related thing. They just got stuck. And so I see this as far as our natural propensity to selfishness. I have a 20-month-old son. I see this literally on a daily basis where he wants what he wants and the way in which he views his parents. It's not primarily out of love. It's primarily out of the means in which he can get something. So he looks at me, looks at his mom, Emily, and it's like, all right, looks like my needs, wants, and desires are all going to be fulfilled today because they're present and they're the ones who get me what I want. And so he constantly has that, right? The part of that's responsible parenting. That's not always going to be the case. But when it comes to food, music, and the number of blankets and stuffed animals he's going to need at nap time, we provide what he wants, what he thinks that he needs. There's been a decent number of times you know, over his lifetime that I've brought Skyline home, so it's not uncommon for me to walk home or to come home at the end of the day, and as soon as I get through the door, he doesn't say, Dad, Dad, he says, cheese, cheese. <laughs> like, that's not an exaggeration. That's not a one-time event. That is the majority of days every single week. I've never brought Skyline home more than once a week. Now, I believe that he loves me somewhere inside his little body. He probably loves me, but he especially loves what he can get from me. What he's hoping that I'll bring is not primarily me. It's, what, it's the cheese, right? You hope that we'll eventually grow out of that if our lives are going to display any glimpse of maturity. But the reality is, and we all get this, oftentimes we look at life and the people around us the same way, don't we? See, we operate in such a way where we're the main character in a story of life about us, and every single person that we encounter, that we interact with, is just kind of a sub-character contributing to our story. <laughs> That's our instinctive lens that we look through. And so we look at life, we look at other people, and we, and we don't say this out loud, but we think, all right, what do you have for me? What can you do for me? And so there's a disciplined way, a surrendered way, disciplined in dependence on the spirit that we can overcome our propensity to live only within ourselves. So how do we grow up and live selfless, God-honoring, God-reflecting lives? Well, Jesus put it very clearly. He used the phrase, deny yourself. See, our aim is to decide to get over ourselves. <laughs> Nobody naturally does that, right? That's why if you're a first-time guest, you're like, okay, wow, great experience. First few seconds, talking about sin. We're all in the same boat, right? battling the old self. But the decision to get beyond ourselves, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross. That's not going to be a convenient time, easy life, and follow me. See, the essence of growing up is being able to see beyond yourself. The essence of growing up, maturing, is being able to see beyond yourself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 has been my life verse ever since high school. Because I learned very early on that if I'm going to have, live a successful life, 
It is not going to be the accumulation of all that I can achieve for the sake of myself. And I also knew that this is going to be a challenging endeavor to constantly discipline myself to see beyond myself. So I want to read Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, first from the message translation, then the NIV. Message says, put yourself aside. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. NIV says, do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So what Paul, the vision that he's portraying here is we all are in tune with what we naturally want, desire, our interests and concerns. And then he's saying, take, the key is to take the same level of concern that you have for your own interests and apply it also to the interests of others. I mean, that kind of radical love is rare, but it is what Jesus put on display, which is why I hope you'll go on to read in your own personal study the rest of Philippians 2, because he describes why Jesus came who Jesus aimed to be, how he himself defined success. So he emptied himself, and his vision for his own life was to become nothing. That's literally what it says in the following verses, to become nothing. He made himself nothing for the sake of you, for the sake of me, his pursuit of us. Now, see, this common sin of selfishness, we're about to get practical, right? And again, I step on my toes leading all the way up to this point. It often comes in the form of inconsiderateness, Inconsiderateness would be disregard for another. So some of these examples that I'm going to get really practical with might be kind of tri- sound kind of trivial. Sometimes they might be sin, sometimes not. But I think ultimately, if it's perpetual sin, it could reveal the state of our true heart. Let me give you a few examples. See, to be inconsiderate is to disregard the impact of your actions on others. You just live your life and you literally don't care about how your actions impact others. One example could be, I'm not saying definitely, could be not caring if you are late If you are always late and other people are always waiting on you, that would be an example of inconsiderateness. There's all we all have times where you know things come up and cause us to be late. But if your mindset is I I just don't care, I'm just going to be late because it just doesn't matter. They'll wait on me. It doesn't matter. Another example would be talking loudly on your cell phone, even though you might be disturbing those around you. Library, movie theater, classroom, whatever it might be. There's certain times where that needs to happen, right? You got an emergency. But if that's your regular behavior, because you you just don't care. Like, whatever. It doesn't matter who interrupted. Another example might be leaving a mess behind for someone else to clean up. Again, might be in a hurry, you know, you know you're, you're tired, whatever it might be. But if your everyday regular mindset is, that, no, I'm not going to do that. Somebody else will do that. It's, it's immaturity, isn't it? That's why we clean up for our kids. Rarely do our kids clean up for us. Another might be being rude to a waiter, waitress, or cashier. Again, oftentimes we look through the lens of they're just a means to what I need, what I want. It's just a transactional relationship. And so if they're not getting it right, if they're not fast enough, or they're not um, you know, doing the transaction correctly, then we can uh, emotionally escalate because, hey, you're, you're paid to do a good job, right? And there's a balance there. So pay attention if you're rude based on simply you just not getting what you want. Now, on the flip side, unselfish people... Unselfish people always balance their needs and concerns with the needs and concerns of others. This, this is so basic, isn't it? You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But to live this out on a daily basis, this is why we need to live on the dependency of the Spirit. Unselfish people are always in tune with what are the needs and concerns of those beyond me. See, whether or not the next generation actually values unselfishness begins with us. 
You can complain all you want about millennials, like, oh, you know, they're just a, it's an individualistic society now, and um, nobody really cares beyond themselves, and everybody just lives a, kind of a, a siloed existence and isolation, all that. Well, they're going to be influenced by us, the generation that goes before them. Researchers at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, what they did is they asked 10,000 middle school and high school students if their parents cared more about their personal achievement or whether they were kind. So 10,000 middle schoolers and high schoolers, they asked them, what do your parents value more? 80% said their parents cared more about achievement. Now, whether or not they're right doesn't really matter. Through the lens of how they see their parents, 80% said, well, my parents value achievement over kindness. Parents' behavior naturally teaching their kids to value the individual over the group. See, selflessness, on the other hand, would be considered a soft value. You think about achievement. Wow, that's, wow look at what all, all that you've done, all that you've become. You're significant because of all that you've accomplished. Nobody, you don't see rewards you know, handed out for selflessness. That's kind of a soft value because anyone can do that. I can be unselfish if I really want to. Achievement, on the other hand, is often literally built on the altar of deliberately being better than everyone else, no matter the cost. And so kids, right, you know, hope to be better than other kids, right, and there's a constant comparison trap going on there, all the way into the corporate workplace, climbing the, climbing the ladder, no matter the impact on the people around you. I talked to a dad last week who, uh, you know, as Levi's growing up, you know, we don't know exactly what he's going to be into, and talked about like soccer leagues, and this dad talked about his uh, four-year-old son who was in a soccer league when he was three. He said, oh, yeah, we're definitely not doing that league again because it was just embarrassing, unbelievable the way that the parents acted and how emotionally invested they were in uh, their kids' performance, right? We're talking about three-year-olds, right? You're, you're not even really playing soccer. It's just, a, it's just a little huddle that follows a ball, right? And every now and then it actually gets kicked in the wrong goal, and like, it, right? It's not actually a sport. And yet here we are as a culture, right, as a society, parents placing, attaching so much emphasis on performance with significance, we're taking it off the rails. It's embarrassing. Here's a few measurements uh, for selflessness, right? And this isn't a message on kids' sports. There's a lot that we could say about that. But what if we lived in a world where we measured, right, and our kids are involved in sports, and afterwards it wasn't how many points did you score or did you win, but instead how did you treat your teammates? How did you treat the kids you were playing against? How many assists did you have? The very nature of an assist is helping somebody else succeed. Here's a crazy question we could ask. Did you actually have fun? What if we brought that measurement back? Now, you know, I'm far from getting this right, and I'll be truly tested, right? Some of you parents are like, oh, just wait, right? I'll, I'm sure I'll have other stories, because I'm a naturally competitive person, right? And I can, you know, think certain things. I want to say certain things, but referee or otherwise. But uh, my brother, he was the antithesis of me. He wasn't really, he's never really been that competitive. He grew up, when he was playing t-ball, I distinctly remember, after the game, he would never ask, did we win? He would just ask, are we getting ice cream? Pretty temp, right? It's a healthier way to be, I guess. I don't know how to get there myself, but there are other proper measurements. Now, you think about our everyday interactions with other people. Like the, the upside of selfishness is it, whether or not we're living a selfless life can literally be measured interaction by interaction. Here's what I mean. After you end t you know, time spent with someone else, how much time in a conversation did you actually spend talking about your interests and concerns versus listening to theirs? I know there's special occasions you're going through something, like I just need someone to talk to, and you spend extended time. 
But as far as your rhythm of interactions, how much time are you spending talking about your interests and concerns and cares and worries versus asking about someone else's? After you're finished with an interaction with another person, what did you actually learn about them? Can you walk away and say, I know this much more about this person because I invested, I sincerely invested interest in their life. I honestly believe that inquisitiveness is one of the most undervalued uh, characteristics that a person can have. The ability to sincerely take interest in another person by asking good questions. I think we can all improve in that area. If someone is having a bad day, it might be somebody you're in a relationship with, somebody you know, it might be the cashier, the waiter, the waitress. If you find out some, someone is having a bad day, does that affect you at all? It should. Like, well, not my problem, not my worry, and we just forget about it. See, are you at the very least inclined to think about that person later in the day and say a prayer for them? I mean, that should bother us, the fact that someone is not having a good day. See, the sin of selfishness, we'll probably all agree, is much easier to see in others than in ourselves. We're like, oh, yeah, that person's selfish because of what they did. So oftentimes we fail to see the significance of the severity of selfishness in our lives. Now, several years ago, and I say several years ago because what I'm about to tell you is kind of embarrassing, and I would like to think that I've grown up a little bit since then. So several years ago, uh, Gary Clark, our union campus pastor, and I were in Indianapolis at a concert. And after the concert, many of you have experienced this environment. When you're trying to leave the parking lot, if there is a parking lot, this was a field, it's a free-for-all, right? It's just mass chaos. And everybody's trying to get out. It takes longer than you want it to, right? And, and so over the course of time, at least in this instance, there, there was kind of formation, rhythm, that was established, you know, one of those, all right, they go, and then we go, even though there's no lanes, it's all on the field, you go, and then they go, and so I'm driving the car, Gary's in the passenger side, and then there's a car to the right of us, and this guy, it's very apparent that he just doesn't care. He doesn't care about fairness, he's just going to go when he wants to go. Well, he kind of got stuck, and I'm kind of emotionally escalated on the inside, because there's few things that cause me to escalate more than people just not signing up for fairness, right? It's pretty clear how the system is working, but they're above the law kind of thing. So in that moment, I rolled down. <laughs> oh, man, I told you. I rolled down Gary's side of the window, you know, the automatic window. And this guy's window was already down. And so I literally, in that moment, several years ago, I, I, <laughs> I said to that guy, I said, are you more important than him? Are you more important than him? Right? The car that he was obviously trying to cut in front. And then Gary's just kind of like... So I'm like talking across the side here. That guy, right, he was kind of shocked that somebody called him out at all. And so he just kind of slowly rolls his window up, you know, it's like, <laughs> that was the end of that. Pretty easy, even instinctive for me to call him out and his inappropriate behavior. But I'm pretty sure that I also failed to communicate in the appropriate way. Because here I am, I want to get out of the parking lot as well. I want what I want right now. And he's messing up the system, more specifically, he's messing up my rhythm. My pacing, my time, my agenda for my life. It's always easier to see selfishness in another than it is in us. The sense of entitlement. that We deserve right, what we want. Here's the ultimate measurement of selflessness. It's love. Love being one of the fruits of the Spirit. See, this is where we're going to do the hard work over these coming weeks. There should be evidence of what Scripture refers to as the fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit doing a work in us provides right, that we're walking, being led by the Spirit. And so when you read Galatians 5, the full listing of the fruits of the Spirit, love is listed first. And in my study, I found it very interesting because for most of my life, I thought that, uh, well, they just listed all the fruits that were very important. It was interesting what I I studied, and I encourage you to do it as well. 
And many commentators say that love appears first in the listing of the fruits of the Spirit because it is the greatest quality in that it most clearly reflects the character of God. Love is foundational for everything, especially relationships. So for the middle part of this love chapter, those of you who have been here the last couple of weeks, kind of you know, talked about what was uh, the first part of 1 Corinthians 13, the last part. Now here's the middle part, and again, because this is familiar, I'm going to read from the message translation, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 6. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, ESV, love does not insist on its own way. Love does not insist on its own way. This past week has been a very fascinating one from a cultural standpoint, not even nationwide, but worldwide. And many of you that are in tune with sports, and you know that I, I, I love sports and, and, and use too many sports illustrations probably. But uh, last Sunday, there was a tragic accident, and many of you already know about, even if you're not into sports, a helicopter accident with nine people, and they all, they all died out in California. The reason why it made so much headline news is because Kobe Bryant and his daughter uh, were two of the nine who died on, on that, that, that helicopter. Absolutely tragic, right? And he was 41 years old, and uh, this is him and his daughter, Gianna. And it's always tragic when somebody dies at a young age, but I think the way in which they died is just hard. It kind of shakes us up, and uh, really it's been kind of a worldwide grieving that's taken place. And uh, if you, you don't know anything about sports world or Kobe, he's one of the greatest basketball players to ever play. And that's been celebrated. But this is why I bring it up today, and this is what's been very interesting. Of course, I've watched a lot of the coverage. I've read a lot of different articles and all that Kobe has achieved, he's reached the mountaintop when it comes to achievement. He's won five world championships, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. What the majority of the time has been spent on was not who he was as a basketball player, but instead who he was as a father. This is very interesting. Now, Kobe was far from, from perfect, right? He made a lot of mistakes, significant mistakes, right? And it kind of changed our perception of him. And uh, he, he kind of, even in, 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 you know, in a personal level, he made mistakes, but even the way in which he played basketball, nobody really described him as a selfless person, right? Because he was a highly competitive person. He worked hard, right? Deserved all that he achieved. But what is now being celebrated, that a man's life who died way too short is not all that he achieved primarily, but all that he was as a father. I mean, I think this is part of why it's hitting us, you know, most of the world so hard on an emotional level because we're gaining immediate perspective on the fragility of life and what matters most. Five times over, he climbed the mountain and achieved what was most important in his sport. But that pales in comparison to all that he was as a father. In fact, it was disheartening, devastating really to read one of the primary reasons he decided to fly by helicopter so often, not just to games, but to his kids' events and even picking them up and dropping them off at school. I read that there was a conversation when he first considered a helicopter as transportation with his wife. His wife said, no, I'll pick him up from school. I'll, I'll take him home. And Kobe said, no, if, if I'm close, if I'm able, I want to, to be there for them and with them. So it shakes us up. But here, here we realize, right, we get a full dose of what actually matters most. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, a heart check for all of us and how we're currently living our lives. And when we are gone, what will actually be celebrated? Will it be all that we have achieved? Or will our aim be who we've, who we've loved, how we've emptied ourselves, gotten beyond ourselves for the sake of others? See, Kobe, he dominated the sport of basketball, but as talented as he was, 
He was even more of a natural at being a dad. Why? Because that was the source of deep joy. We've seen, seen many superstars in the sports world, Michael Jordan being one of them, who they don't know themselves after retirement. They only know themselves and their identity through the lens of what they've achieved, and they don't even know how to live. Kobe was able to close that door. Right? He loved basketball, but he was able to enter into the next chapter because he had already experienced a deep contentedness and joy through the primary role of being a father. So may we live in such a way where we aim not to achieve, but we aim to love. What will we do with the gift of today? It's an absolute gift. 